0: Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, the new and anti-anti-penultimate Harry Potter film. I'm here with Dan Coyce. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dana. Who, uh, we may now say, is the Washington Post film critic. Is
1: a Washington film critic. A Washington Post, Washington film, Post critic. film
0: critic and a contributor to the New York Magazine culture blog, The Vulture. Correct. Uh, or just Vulture, I guess, right? You don't do the article. The uh, they'll article.
1: edit this out later, but yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so we, we're coming into this totally fresh. I want you here in the studio with me, actually, which is very nice to, to see you. By the way, it's because, fun not
1: to just be in Washington talking to you over an ISD online.
0: right, with a video with a video hookup. But I wanted you here because you're the resident Potter file of Slate, and I think you've spoiled all the previous Harry Potter movies that that have. I have You're and well. and
1: when the last Harry Potter book came out I ran a week long spoiler special uh book club on um, the last Harry Potter book as well. So So yes. you've
0: done your share of Harry Potter spoiling.
1: I've marked my territory in the Harry Potter world at Slate.
0: Well, in that case, I want you to take it away. I mean, I I saw from your review that you and I somewhat have opposite takes on the movie. I mean, for one thing, you liked it more than I did. But also, you made a claim that I sort of feel like I felt the opposite. You thought that this was a movie for non-book files, that, in other words, if you're not a Harry Potter head, this is going to be the best Harry Potter movie for you. I, on the other hand, felt like it was very inside baseball, inside Quidditch, and that without having read the books, there were a lot of... There's a lot of jargon and lingo flying around that I couldn't really follow. And mind you, I've seen all the movies and and, and liked them for the most part.
1: Right. Well, I guess my qualification on my claim that this is the best Harry Potter movie for people who haven't read the books is... That is if you don't care too much about paying attention. I mean, if you are actually trying to figure out everything, you will then be frustrated because a great deal goes unexplained in this movie. But if you're willing to just sit back and enjoy the teen romance and action sequences and the jokes, you'll probably have a pretty good time. Um, So let's spoil it. So uh, this is the sixth movie based on the sixth book there are seven books in total the seventh book will be turned into two movies as dana implied which is a
0: decision they made fairly recently right i mean uh, i know yeah, when i wrote ago. on the last movie i thought there was just one to go not two to go
1: yeah about a year ago they made that decision um to to do that a, a decision that would honestly as a Potter file would have been fine with me pretty much with every movie i would have been perfectly happy with two movies based on any of the last couple of books uh but so this one um picks up the story as uh the the war against Voldemort the dark lord is well underway between harry potter and his friends um and voldemort and the death eaters who are his followers harry potter's just lost his godfather sirius black who was killed by a follower of voldemort Um, and he returns to school for his sixth year with a mission the mission is sort of twofold it's a mission that dumbledore the headmaster of hogwarts gives him it's one to learn more about voldemort about the opponent who he presumably will one day face Um, And the second is to uh, tease a memory out of the new potions master, Horace Slughorn, who's played by Jim Broadbent in this movie, um, who is a former Hogwarts teacher who was once a teacher of Tom Riddle, the boy who grew up to be Voldemort. And um, once upon a time, Tom Riddle asked Horace Slughorn a very important question and one that holds a key to possibly defeating him, but Dumbledore has not been able to find out what that question was, and he employs Harry... And a connection that Harry and Slughorn develop in order to try and weasel that memory out. It turns out what the memory is is that Voldemort, young Voldemort, Tom Riddle, Lil Voldemort as I call him, um, asked Horace Slughorn about a piece of magic called a Horcrux, which uh, is a way in which a wizard can split his soul into two or more pieces. Basically, vouchsafing a piece of his soul in an object of some kind. Uh, so that even if his body is killed, his soul will exist somewhere so he could be resurrected.
0: And question, is Horcrux, is the Horcrux something that we're supposed to have known about at this point? And when you're reading the books, is it, this is something that appears for the first time? In it's this, this
1: brand point? new. It's brand. It's a brand new piece of magic. Because I knew it was J. brand
0: Rowling. new to the movies. And, right. you know, I felt like it was sort of inadequately explained by this movie, which was another of the inside Quidditch movies. Right.
1: Well, I mean, but well, what are you going to do? It basically takes an entire chapter to explain the concept of a Horcrux in, the, in And the there's book. a lot
0: of conceptual magic in the books so that right. obviously can't be shoehorned into right.
1: the movies. Right. So So uh, uh, at the end of the uh, movie, Dumbledore informs Harry that he's located one of the seven Horcruxes. Horcruxes? Horcruxes? Horcruxes. Horcruxes, in which uh, Voldemort has secreted away parts of his soul and sets off with Harry to destroy it. They end up uh, in a cavern um, on the English coast where they find the Horcrux. Dumbledore is weakened in the effort. They travel back to Hogwarts. Dumbledore is killed. Oh, spoiler alert! Also, we're gonna be spoiling this <laughs>
0: uh,
1: <laughs> wah, in our spoiler wah. special. Uh, Dumbledore is killed um, by Severus Snape, the professor at Hogwarts, whose whose reliability and truthfulness Harry has always doubted.
0: I have a question about Snape, but should we should we wait till you finish? that I'll
1: finish. There's not that much. And then, um, so Dumbledore dies, and everyone's sad, and um, Harry discovers that the what he thought was the Horcrux they were saving was in fact a fake. The Horcrux had been found sometime before by someone with the mysterious initials R.A.B.
0: And so Dumbledore died for nothing. And so Dumbledore
1: died. died for nothing in Harry's eyes, yes.
0: And we haven't even gotten to the romantic stuff. We'll get to that in a minute. Oh, yeah. I mean, a good three-quarters of the movie is not spent on anything right. you just described, but right. just on sort of teen romance. Well, Here's my Snape question while, I, while I'm remembering it. So at this point, once again, I rely on your arcane Harry Potter knowledge. We don't know if Severus Snape, played by Alan Rickman wonderfully in the movie, is the best performance in this movie, I think. We don't know if he's a double agent or not, we right? We do not
1: know. I mean, the best performance in the entire series by far, it's... Uh, every time he's on the screen is it makes me so happy even though the character is a pretty conflicted character and one of my favorite characters in the books but yes at this point in the books and in the movies we do not know we have seen and heard severus snape proclaim fealty to the side of good to the side of dumbledore and the order of the phoenix and harry potter though he clearly does not like harry potter at all and we have seen him swear fealty to the side of evil, to Voldemort, to other Death Eaters. And we do not know which side he's truly or on. Or
0: indeed what motivation he would have for spying for either side. Right. Correct. Right. So that's, that makes the next the next chapter seem juicy to me, which is a strange thing about this movie that I didn't particularly like it, but I still can't wait to see the right. next two chapters. There,
1: I mean, there's a lot of stuff to be uncovered, and some of it is very satisfying and some and the books, at least, and some of it is somewhat unsatisfying. I would say the... The reasons behind Snape and his story are fairly satisfying, I thought, given that he's my favorite character and his his story ended in one of the ways that I hoped it would end. But that's for that's for two years from now,
0: right? Yeah, that's going to have to dangle there for some time. Do you want to at all get into um, the sort of book versus movie question as far as like what relation does this series, which has now been going on for eight years of movies, bear to the, to the huge following and readership that the books have? I mean, most Harry Potter fans seem to be following the movies as well and excited about them. Is there some contingent of people that just think that the movies don't do justice to the books and kind of reject them out of hand?
1: Uh, I don't know if there's a contingent. I assume there's a contingent of people who do everything. I'm, I assume there's a contingent of people who are angry that Dobby isn't in every movie. But, in, I mean, my feelings on the movies have always sort of been that I'm a rabid enough fan of the book that I would be perfectly happy, uh, as I said in my review in the post, I would be perfectly happy, honestly, if the Harry Potter movies came out in thirty-hour BBC miniseries in which people just literally said every line that was in the book.
0: Right? I don't mean, you don't you say in your review that that may be the ideal format right. in which to experience? Harry I mean, it Potter certainly is? would
1: be my ideal format in which to experience it, but I recognize that that is neither commercially. Likely, nor probably, actually, an aesthetically successful way to adapt a work. It's just what I want,
0: right? Well, uh, I mean, as, as a rapid fan. <laughs> as it happens, though, I mean the sort of you know BBC, the lengthy BBC literary adaptation miniseries has done some some great stuff in the past. Right. I mean, maybe that's just sort of you know, if you've got an English novel you love, you just you just need to slap it up in a BBC right. miniseries.
1: So I just basically I now I'm hoping I stay alive long enough so that 40 years from now, when the BBC gets the rights back, I'll still be around. <laughs> I'll just at that time, I'm sure I'll view it as a shame that this cast. Which is fantastic. I'll pretty much up and down the line. We're not the ones who got to do my thirty hour phase. So you don't version. have
0: any disappointments with the ongoing cast of, of these movies? Not
1: really. I mean, I don't my I would say actually really my only disappointment and one that I didn't go into a lot in the review, but but one that just, which is crucial to this movie and leads me to a question I have for you is Michael Gammon. As Dumbledore. Um, you know, he replaced Richard Harris after the second movie when Richard Harris passed away. Right. Um, and it's a, obviously a crucial character for the movie. Um, and so much of the emotion of this particular chapter of the story revolves around Harry's feelings toward Dumbledore and Dumbledore's feelings toward Harry. And I've always had a real problem with the way Gambon played the role. Is in that, that, that
0: just because you liked Richard Harris so much that you didn't, didn't want him to? Be
1: uh, him? I didn't really like Richard Harris. It, Richard Harris was fine, he was better. I thought then Gammon, but I didn't love him either, mostly because he just seemed really old and creaky and like he never could do any of the things that Dumbledore could do. But Michael Gammon plays Dumbledore really shouty and angry and and he just yells a lot. And, he, and more sort of to the point, he lacks any sense of whimsy, which to me has always been the thing that has made Dumbledore a character who I understand why children love him—not just children in the audience, but children in the world of Harry Potter.
0: Right, even he's got more of a sort of a, a goofiness. Or yeah, tenderness? a
1: goofiness. There's, uh, there's, you know, uh, I just rewatched all the Harry Potter movies while reviewing this one and while working on another feature for New oh, York magazine. Oh, because you were going to rank all of right, them in order. Because I ranked all of them in order, um, and I had forgotten about a scene in the very first Harry Potter movie in which Richard Harris is Dumbledore, um, while Harry is in the hospital wing gives this great little bit, which is straight out of the book, but which is very adorable, in which he says, you know, ah, Bertie bots every flavor beans or the jelly beans that are every flavor in the world. And he talks about how he once in his youth was unlucky enough to be handed a vomit-flavored one, but perhaps he'll give them another try. And he pops one in his mouth and says, alas, earwax. And that's the kind of, like, sort of just... Like very charming and non serious note that has sort of disappeared. It is from actually
0: Dumbledore. hard to he, to imagine Michael Gambon right. saying "Alas, yes." Yeah,
1: Michael Gambon has a lot of energy and he's very sprightly in the role, and you can buy him as a powerful wizard in a way that you maybe couldn't buy Richard Harris, but you can't buy him as someone who Harry loves, and you certainly don't have any sense. I don't think if you haven't read the books, and this is the question I wanted to ask you: Do you get the impression that Dumbledore really, really cares for Harry? as an extension how moved were you or were you not by Dumbledore's death at the end of the movie right
0: yeah, that is a huge question to ask someone who's not a, a bookophile. I mean, I think I was basically as moved as the movie without the book factored in wanted me to be, you mm-hmm. know, and maybe that's part of why this movie left me cold is that that is an inside baseball moment where you have to bring in the character development that you have in J.K. Rowling and you don't have in David Yates' film right. version. But, but but I had to import a little bit of feeling. In fact, essentially when I watched, I never saw any flaws in Gamble's performance per se, but I can't say that it strikes me as an electrifying one. And I couldn't help always but measure him against a great wizard performance on film, which is... Ian McKellen right. in the Lord of the Rings movies, who obviously brings, I think, a lot more sort of tenderness and, and richness to the role.
1: Yes, and and the and there are a lot of I thought attempts to make Dumbledore as Gandalfy as possible in this. I mean, right down to like the underground battle and him and him opening a door with his hand and magic and the stone, which is very obviously Lord of the Ringsish, but also just there. There was a McKellen sort of spring to his step, I thought, in this movie, and there were a lot of attempts to. Give him like that swirling, action-packed fighting style that Gandalf has in the Lord of the Rings movies, which is not really something we'd seen from Dumbledore before. Right. In this one, but, but in
0: general, I think these movies don't quite know what to do with action sequences, and maybe we can get to that in a minute because I want to take a break for a word from our sponsor. Oh
1: yes, our sponsor.
0: So, as regular listeners know, uh, the Slate podcasts now have a great deal with Audible.com, which is the leading provider of audiobooks on the web. Where if you sign up through our page which is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler you can get a free audiobook with your membership and you get to keep the book even if you don't remain a member, which I guarantee you, you will want to. So our, our recommendation in connection with this book, Dan just suggested and reminded me that the great British actor Jim Dale reads all the Harry Potter books in audio. You can get them all on Audible, but we'll recommend the next one so that you're ready for the next two summers worth of, of Harry Potter movies. It's Harry, Harry Potter, Potter and the Deathly and the Hallows. Deathly Hallows, read by Jim Dale. Mm. So get on Audible and take a look. All right, so let's get back to what was my what was my... Action point. sequences. Action sequences. Yeah. I mean that's definitely true in this movie, which has very very even you as a fan of this movie have to admit it has very little action over the running time. It sort of all comes in a clump in the last, you know, one sixth of the movie or something. Right. That, the, that only,
1: the only previous action in the movie is in fact was in fact inserted for the movie. That scene in which Bellatrix Lestrange and that other dude attack the Weasley's house is not in the book at all. And it, it seems clear that at some point someone in Hollywood said, we can't have the only action sequence in this movie be in the last ten minutes. Um, And so they added it. Uh, There's a scene in this movie which will come as a great surprise to people who have read the books, in which Bellatrix Lestrange and um, uh, Fenrir Greyback, who fans of the book will know who he is but people who watch the movie will have no clue that that is who that character is meant to be he's
0: the david Thule's character no
1: uh, he's the other vampire or the, excuse me the other werewolf who attacks uh the weasley's house along with bellatrix lestrange they att- right in the middle of the christmas holidays in the movie they attack the weasley's house the burrow they almost get harry and Ginny, and they in fact burn the house to the ground which for fans of the book will lead them to wonder, well, where will all the scenes that occur at the borough in the seventh book occur? But who knows?
0: So that's that maybe a change they'll have to make in the next two movies as right. well. well or whatever.
1: It, it's magic. They can just rebuild it in five minutes, I guess. It
0: shows you how little narrative function that scene had that I completely forgot about it in my assessment of <laughs> <in> the movie. <laughs> I also, I sort of wanted a lot more Helena Bonham Carter than than we got. But mm-hmm. anyway, so, so my action critique would be, I think that this has to do with, you know, the adaptation problem. Obviously, Lord of the Rings is an adaptation too, but a much, much more condensed one. Right. I mean, Harry Potter movies really, truly are taking one book and sort of trying to get its, its entire story on, on the screen. And I feel like in the name of getting all this exposition across and all this character development and all this romance in the case of this movie, that, you know, they do sort of forget that we go to movies like this to watch stuff happen and, you know, people face each other with various magic wands and weapons or whatever. Right, and
1: the action sequences have never been a real specialty of this series. I mean, they, there have been a couple of really good action sequences in the six movies, but I would say that the, in this movie, they continue the problem they've always had, which is that people pointing wands at each other and shouting is not like inherently dramatic. Right, no yelling Latin many, phrases. Right, no matter how many jets of green light you shoot at each other, or no, I mean, it's no matter what you do, they have not found a way to make those either seem dangerous or real in any real way, which is a problem considering that I don't think it will be a big shock to you to know that there's a gigantic magic fight at the end of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. And so I, the, I, I think I have a, a great deal of worry that that's just going to play very poorly. <laughs>
0: Abracadabra, take that.
1: Right. like so, I mean, how many times can you show people yelling Avada Kedavra at each other and people just barely almost being hit by the spell? Which is quite a lot of the action of the last part of the last book but yeah it's a it is a real problem and and the se- the action sequences that the movies have tended to do the best with are the ones I have found that uh that evolve flying or that involve gigantic awesome magical creatures of the sort that are better in movies than they are in books because. The dragon, for example, in the fourth movie, uh, the dragon that Harry fights in the Triwizard Tournament, was way awesomer in the movie than I ever even imagined it as I was reading the book. Whereas people pointing wands at each other is never awesomer in the movie than it was when I read the book. Yeah,
0: the impression I have from the movies in general is that there aren't too many moments that they probably make things happen cinematically that couldn't have happened on the page. That it's more of a sort of wan attempt to recreate some kind of magic that's happening on the page. And right. I should also say that my current relationship to the Harry Potter books is I'm waiting until my daughter's old enough to want to read them, and then we'll read them together. Why should I read them now? I'll have to read them all out loud <laughs> right. repeatedly over the next few years. You, anyway. just,
1: you just saved like 150 hours of your life.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, these books are huge tomes. I'm not going to read them more more times than I have to. But who knows? Maybe I'll read them and, and fall completely in love. Okay. Well, Dan, thanks so much for joining me on the, the spoiler that only you could have done with me <laughs> as well as you did. Um, and uh, please join me again on the next spoiler special. Well,
1: I'll see you uh, in the fall of 2010 when Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 Harry, Hermione, and Ron go camping forever, comes up.
0: <laughs> and well before that, I hope, as well. Okay, for Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.
1: Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset,
0: hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in.
1: Oh, burger time.
0: So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you.